Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. This is the Dispatch Podcast. I'm Paul Cross and I'm joined by Carol. Yes, you are. Hello, Paul. Now, we're a day early today, of course, because it's the super long weekend. So we thought we'd get in early. Not just the long weekend, the super, the super long weekend. super long weekend. It's all questions from you today. Okay. So, Paul, you've written a lot about the industry's approach to the HDA review, but what do you really think the governments want from the process? Yeah, I, this is a really good question. The, a white paper was released earlier this week on a health technology assessment summit that was convened mostly by industry but included a few other stakeholder groups last year. And it, look, it's actually quite an interesting paper and it's got some really interesting perspectives, some very experienced and knowledgeable perspectives reflected in it. It's very much what industry and stakeholder wants. So... It's actually really worth asking about the government's objectives because they own and manage the process. The committee is dominated by people who who are full-time paid employees of the Commonwealth. Mm. What they want is actually very important. And and they will have agreed to this because there's something they want and they see this as a way to get stakeholders to agree to it. And in a nutshell, I suspect they want more for less. (laughs) which is generally how these processes go. These processes are generally, history would suggest, about the government securing an outcome that it wants and it doesn't want to wait for. So that's that's essentially what I expect. And we'll see that when the discussion paper has been <laughs> released. It is, it, it does exist. You know, unfortunately, again, it's one of those situations where some people get to see it and others don't. Do you just need to check a box on the website? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's what the consultation process will be that classic drop down menu. <laughs> and then it will be this is what we think about this. What do you think about what we think about it? I mean, that's, yeah. you know, we saw that the draft terms of reference went through a consultation process, which we've discussed and basically didn't change at all. So. Mm-hmm. The industry tends to be very focused on its own agenda, but given the vulnerability in this process, the fact that it's dominated by the government, it's not independent. People need to stop calling it independent. Mm. The chair's not independent. Most of the members are not independent. Let's stop calling it independent. It's a review that includes the first assistant secretary that runs HTA in the health department, a review secretariat that reports to that person on a day-to-day basis, and a probity advisor that's been appointed to monitor the process. So it's... It's a rigged process, so the question people need to ask themselves is what it is going to produce, and obviously the government has a gender, and as I say, it's probably getting more for less. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do you believe conditional payback recommendations can succeed where managed access plans have failed? Yeah, this is very topical in the industry at the moment, and it is a really interesting issue. That HTA summit, there was a very very interesting presentation on – managed access program plans. There have been 12 in 12 years, so one one per year. One per year. Nobody really likes them. Interestingly, none of them have ever ever led to a price increase for a company, even when they've produced the isn't, valid data. Isn't that interesting? Yes. The, one of the first ones was the MSD one with their oncology drug Keytruda, and they, they were really done over in the process. And so naturally – why would companies be enthusiastic about those things? Yeah. It's all all risk, really. So Let's sign up for us to give you more information, but it's not going to make a difference. Yeah, conditional is one of those words. It has historic meaning. 
and people really need to be very cautious about. I know people probably don't realise, but a PBOC was sacked because they attempted to conditionalise a minister's recommendation. So they attempted to say to a minister in the late 1990s, we recommend this drug, but on the condition that you do X, Y and Z, they actually sought legal advice on whether they could do it and they were told in, in no uncertain terms that they could not. That committee was spilled shortly after they attempted that. They can't do it in law at the moment. They can't say to the minister, we recommend it, but the condition is X, Y and Z. They're an advisory committee. The legal standing of their advice pretty much begins and ends with recommendation. That's it. Yeah. All the advice they attach to it, the minister is not really bound by it. Now, even even on some things where the minister has to seek their advice, the minister can, can ignore it and, and regularly does. Giving this committee the power to conditionalise their recommendations involves a change in the Act. And that would shift the power from the minister, who has extraordinary power over PBS decision-making, to the committee. Now, no government in their right mind is going to agree to that because there are huge implications of an advisory committee directing a minister how to exercise their power. It's just not going to happen. Mm. And if it did happen, let's, let's scenario plan the possibility that it would happen, then the PBAC is no longer an advisory committee. It becomes a decision-making body. Yeah, which uh, we've got covered, right? Well, well, it would have huge ramifications for the PBAC if they decided that they, they would become a decision-making body. No more exclusion from AAT. A whole raft of new processes and issues and challenges and review mechanisms would then, then come into play. And they, they would need to think about whether they would really want that, that power, setting aside the fact that I can't see a government giving them that power. It's not appropriate for an advisory committee and our system of parliamentary democracy requires ministerial accountability to the parliament. So the TGA is independent. Yeah. In law, it's independent. The minister has very little say over the TGA. All of those decisions are made by decision makers in the TGA. There's no financial implications for the Commonwealth from its decisions. PBS is very different. The PBS is essentially a, a program, financial implications for, for the Commonwealth. So they'll think about it very differently. I don't think we want a system where a committee can direct a minister to exercise their power in a particular way. Mm. We don't want that. It would have enormous ramifications. If you did want that, then we need to start talking about creating a farm act type body where they are truly independent, they're given a budget, and they're free to make their decisions. Because the PBAC, people, you just people need to understand the PBAC is not independent. Yeah, it doesn't manage a budget. It doesn't even manage its own budget, operating budget. It doesn't administer itself. It doesn't write its own minutes or outcomes. The minister can fire that committee at any time they like in law. So it's not independent. It's independent to to create advice to the extent the minister allows it. Yeah, and that's I think that works pretty well. So you might say, well, well. How could conditionality work? Well, the only way I can see it working <laughs> is just to renew commitment to the managed access program. What they could do is say to a company, we'll give you the higher price up front, but you've got to agree that in X years' time you have to provide this clinical data to demonstrate that it was the right price to justify it or you have to pay it back. Well, that's just manage access. And I can tell you, they are not going to want to give the companies the higher price up front on the basis of a, an agreement. Mm. They're, going to want to, they're, they're going to want the power to direct the minister to act in a particular way. And I just don't think that's it's not going to happen. It shouldn't happen. Nobody should agree to it. 
the implications for the system would be huge and not just the system itself but the PBAC itself would fundamentally change. Yeah. And the accountability that that, that committee has, it could no longer hide behind the minister. You know, it would be subject to Senate estimates, hearings and all sorts of inquiries about its decision-making and review processes. And it might, might want to contemplate the implications of that. And let's just uh – Pharmac. Do we do we really <laughs> yeah. want to? Well, that's right. That model? Now, 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 I, I would argue that you could do an independent agency. You could construct an independent agency in a way to avoid the craziness that you see mm-hmm. in Pharmac. But it would it would require, and maybe this goes to the next question. It would require patients to be able to direct that agency in the same way the board of the National Disability Insurance Agency directs the operation of the NDIS. Well, that's good news because Australian Health is fantastic at patient input. <laughs> well, that's right. Well, that brings us to the next question, I believe. <laughs> yes, it does. Nice segue. <laughs> Why are we tinkering with patient input on health policy and programs and not giving them a real say in directing them? I think this is a really interesting issue. We wrote about it this week. When you compare it to the NDIS, where half of the governing board that sets the strategic direction for the NDIS is people with lived experience. Yeah. Of the 21 members with PBAC, two of them are consumer representatives. It's a similar proportion on the Medical Services Advisory Committee. Wow. I think we have a system that's constructed and then patients are invited in at certain points. Yeah, when it's convenient. When it's convenient. And so they, it, they have to know those points. You know, they have to know the points at which they're meant to engage. Engage. And I just think if we were going to put patients truly at the middle of the system, then give them a say over how the decisions are made. Why not mimic what happens in disability in Australia, which is I think it's a really good model. People who actually have the lived experience of these services get a say in decision-making. Yeah. Put them at the centre and I think that means putting them over the top and creating a framework for patients to be able to say, yeah, no, we don't like that or we think this is how you should apply HTA. Some of these new processes and reviews, are we going to enhance patient input? I don't even know what the hell that means. Mm. We're going to enhance patient input, which is you think about the implications of that statement, what it means in language It is we are the experts. Yeah. It's the Marie Antoinette. We are the experts and we will invite you in. We'll pick some more moments where we can invite you in to participate in these decisions. For some facilitated (laughs) Feedback. Yeah, drop-down menus. Yeah. <laughs> drop-down menus. So I, I, I do think part, part of the issue here is HTA is seen as this sort of cathedral of an idea. It's a religion and patients have to, you know, they have to engage with it. Yeah. No, I think it's the other way around. It's completely wrong. And I, and I think patients should have a far greater say in Australia in how these things are applied. Yeah. Technically, as we are seeing in disability, where the chair of the NDIA is someone who lives with a disability. So I think it's a really good principle. And at the very least, I think it's worth making the case to see how governments respond to that. Why would you argue yeah. against it? Probably have to start by calling them patients and not consumers. Oh, Isn't that just the most Orwellian, Stalinist, sort of this Soviet name? Consumers? <laughs> it's like you just kind of completely take the personal out of yeah. the lived experience Take of a patient. Take them back to a number and yeah. a dollar figure. Yeah. You're a consumer. Mm. You know, the, the argument is that it's sort of empowering because you're the It's just not at mm. all. Thanks, Carol. Bye, Paul. <laughs> Bye.